Ecclesiastes 4, 9, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. If they fail, one shall lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth. He will not have another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Wow, what a, th- a powerful verse, this threefold cord. What he's saying here is, in, this, in the context here, if one falls down, the other can lift the other one up. We, we see this all, that's obviously there's a visual in that. One stumbles. How many times does that happen? Your wife stumbles or one of you stumbles and you lift the other one up. There's a visual there. But there's also a spiritual truth here that oftentimes if one's down and discouraged, the other one can lift the other one up. I think that's what he's saying here. We need that. Woe to the person that is alone. Also, I think there's a lesson here that God gives different abilities to complement and not to compete. You know, you ever find yourself competing a little bit against your spouse? I have. And Danielle has some strengths I really admire. And I know there's times that I've just kind of, you know, I don't know, maybe it's all subconscious, but I admire them. And maybe there's a little bit of like, uh, I wish I had that strength. But remember, we're to complement, like we alluded to earlier. If we all had the same strength, we'd all have the same weaknesses. So we have strengths and weaknesses. One of them is obvious is, is, is physical strength. We as husbands are stronger, physical strong, physically stronger. Danelle lots of times brings me things to open. You know, she's got the jar out of the refrigerator, and eh, she's straining on, she can't open it. And, and I just kind of crack it to her and hand it to her. and oh. She's used to that joke after 45 years. <clears throat> but anyway, yeah, men are stronger. Think about leadership and decision making. You know, that's, that's God-given abilities. God gives to us. Um, but women, you know, they're more compassionate and more nurturing. And isn't that a blessing? Because I don't have that compassion and that nurturing ability that she has. And God knew that our spouses needed that for our children. I'm sure you see that if you have children. You see that in your your wife, that nurturing ability. Uh, Praise God uh, for that. And then he last of all says that a threefold cord is not easily broken. So you can see this threefold cord is made up of man and Christ and woman. And those interwoven together make a much stronger cord than one alone will do. Or even two. Woven together. Let's think about the power of teamwork. A question for you. So, how much weight can a team of strong Clydesdale workhorses pull? Anybody want to take a guess? A team. What can they pull? Well, first of all, what can one pull alone? We'll get to the team in a minute. What can one pull alone? Take a guess, somebody. 2,000 pounds. 2,000 pounds? Okay. Actually, one single horse can pull as much as 8,000 pounds. 
in a pulling contest. It's a lot of weight. Okay, so next question. What can a team pull? What? 20,000? A little more? 24. Three times. Three times of what one can pull. What the deal is here is, is when there's a team working together, there's a, there's a teamwork spirit that can pull much more than one alone. I've just noticed that in driving horses there at the ranch and, and we wasn't pulling a heavy implement. You could, but you could see that team competition, not in a bad way, but just pulling together. Much more powerful uh, together. Um, accomplishes a lot more. I think about teamwork. I think about the family going in, husband and wife going in the same direction. They got the same goals. They have the same vision for their family. Uh, there's not the competition against each other. Um, I think about being more effective as parents. One of the things that we often see is that, that, that children will often triangulate between the mom and the dad. You know, they'll go to the dad and, and ask him if he can do, do something. And, and uh, you know, he'll say no. And they'll say, well, you know, mom, mom says I could. And there's not that agreement on, on family rules and family boundaries. And so kids take advantage of that. And we've seen that, that couples that are as a team, it's almost like they're a wall, an unpenetrable wall that children can't penetrate. Some will really try, especially if they're really strong-willed or in the case of adoption children or adopted children. There's several situations where that's more common. But we're much more effective as parents. We have this, again, same goals. We've agreed on boundaries. We've agreed on discipline measures. That's part of teamwork. More effective in family finances. There again, same goals, same vision, that teamwork spirit. And last of all, when I think about teamwork, I think about the verse where Jesus said, and if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Very important principle, isn't it? Jesus knew that if a house is divided against itself, it's weak. It's, it's weak. It's wide open to the evil one, to the devil. Creates chaos and confusion. Well, moving on, we think about the necessity for connection. There must be a commitment to forgiveness. And I'm just giving several different practical aspects of marriage, maybe kind of a scattering of things that I think are important for that heart connection. Forgiveness. It's the most beautiful form of love. You know, without forgiveness, how would you demonstrate love? This is what we see in the cross, don't we? Is Jesus laid down his life. He demonstrated for love by forgiveness, by giving his life on the cross, sacrificing himself for us. <clears throat> I think that I've seen, and you probably have too, how conflict, when it's resolved, after we've forgiven each other, often strengthens the relationship. Have you seen that? If you notice that in your own marriages, that after conflict and you resolve it, you become stronger. 
this verse, 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all things have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Maybe we touched on that a little bit yesterday. But what Peter is saying here is that true love overlooks the faults of others. And there's things that happen sometimes in our marriage and and I say something or do something and I think, oh, you know, wonder what she's going to say or think. And she just overlooks it. She just forgives me without me even asking. And, and I'm thinking, wow, that's love. It just overlooks those character flaws and faults that we all have. Forgive as Christ forgave. How did Jesus forgive us? How did Jesus forgive? Any strings attached? No. No strings attached. Matter of fact, it says, be kind one to another, compassionate, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Jesus forgave us completely. He forgave us unconditionally. No strings attached. Hebrews 8.12 says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. That means that when I forgive my spouse, it's gone. I no longer hold it to her account. She's free. Forgive others as we want forgiveness. Um, That's Jesus teaches that principle in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We all need the forgiveness of Christ. Sometimes we wonder, sometimes as you work with couples and, and they hold this grudge. And I'm thinking, how can you hold a grudge against somebody? When you want Christ to forgive you completely and totally and unconditionally. We have to let it go. There is, no love, there is no love without forgiveness and no forgiveness without love. <clears throat> Let's move on from forgiveness to communication. I think good communication is probably one of those things that's clear at the top when you think about maintaining a good heart connection. Um, I remember reading a, a, a book, a story about a man who was a, a speaker at a big seminar. And he asked a group of 300 men, what is the number one thing that we can do to improve our marriages? And almost all of them in unison said, better communication. Because that's where the breakdown often happens in our relationships, isn't it? It's in communication. Well, First of all, I think about communication being it's a two-way street. It goes back and forth. You know, at the ranch, we didn't have uh, cell phones. They didn't work there. So we used two-way radios. And, you know, with a two-way radio, it's pretty obvious. You both can't be sending at the same time. The message won't get through. Someone's sending and someone's receiving. 
And that's the way communication needs to be. We need to be respectful of, of the sending and the receiving. We need to be listening when we should be listening and speaking when we should be speaking. Sometimes I have it backwards. I'm talking when I should be uh, listening. <clears throat> that involves a lot of discipline. Um, and knowing when to speak and when to listen. Nonverbal communication. Think about nonverbal. It speaks so much louder than words. And well, let me give you an example. You know, men, you come home at night. And if your wife's kind of had a bad day and you can just see it, maybe on her face without even saying much or by her actions. How does that impact you? That's a question for you. How does it impact you? When you come home, you see your wife a little bit down or maybe a little grumpy. How does that impact you? Anybody? Time to pitch in? Good. That's good. Doug? Anybody else? Maybe you don't have a wife that ever does that. <laughs> Somebody else? Kurt? It used to make me more exhausted. I'd like to say it never does that anymore. Yeah, it affects you, right? I mean, it can. And, and sometimes it can just kind of put you in a in down mood. Maybe nobody else feels that, but anybody else experience that? Yeah. I mean, it affects us. And so nonverbal communication, it speaks louder. We have to be careful the message we're communicating, even though we may not intend it to. And, and we should all be the good Christian husbands and cheer up, you know. But sometimes it doesn't always work that way. Another thing about communication, we see things from a different perspective, very different perspective. And so I want to give a little illustration about that, but I need a couple for volunteer. Um, could I have a couple volunteer for a little um, demonstration? Yeah, Jaden, Mindy, um, why don't you come stand right up here and face each other? Oh, no. <laughs> okay, just stand a little bit apart, back up a little bit. Okay, we're going to see how good a communication you are and do a little bit of mug therapy. You ever done mug therapy before? I think so. Okay. Well, I want you to describe what you each see on the side of this mug, okay? So you give a description, Jaden, to Mindy. What do you see on my hand there? Give a Best description you can. On the side of the mug. On the side of the mug. Everything about the mug, really. You can describe it as much detail as you want. Okay. I see a white mug with two hearts wrapped around a cross with the inscription of 1 Corinthians 13 in red. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What else? You see this little thing over here? What's that? That's the handle. And what side's it on? It is on my left side. Okay. It's blue. All right. Let's see how Mindy agrees with you. Mindy, what do you see? Um, well, I see lots of words. Go ahead and read them if you'd like. Okay. It says, charity suffers long, is kind, envies not, wants not itself, is not puffed up, 
behaves not unseemingly, seeks not her own, provokes not, thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Charity never fails. And then there's a red heart kind of behind the letters in black. The letters are black. Um, the things Jaden already stated, the mug is white, and there is a blue handle on my right mm. side. I see there's disagreement already. <laughs> he said the handle is on the left. You're saying it's on the right? Uh-huh. Did you see what she saw, though, and what she read, something a little different than you did? I, yeah, I did not see that. Didn't see that, did you? Yeah. Now, does it make it a little more clear? So you saw something from a different perspective, didn't you? Now you see her perspective, and you see his perspective. Okay, you can sit down. So what they saw, you know, the mug, this is, was one side of it. You know, had just basically the verse reference, a couple hearts. The other side is the complete verse. What I'm illustrating is that is oftentimes we as husbands and wives... We see things from a different perspective. It's the same mug. It's just different sides of the mug. It's different perspectives. And we need the other perspective, don't we? Because sometimes we can't see it. A a husband sometimes can't see the wife's perspective. But we need her perspective. She sometimes can't see our perspective. But we need hers. We need them both in order for communication to be effective and that's again that's the blessing of two so we can see things a little bit differently God gave us different personalities and probably several of you have been to the love and respect uh, teaching and he talks a lot about that how husbands men see things blue and and women see things pink from different perspectives but let me give you a key to good communication here is sometimes when you're having a little bit of a difference between the two of you You can just say, honey, could you help me see it from your perspective? Just invite her perspective that says, I'm open to listen. You know, one of the keys to communication is seek first to understand and then be understood. Sometimes we get that the other way around. I want to explain myself first and then I'll listen. Maybe. So use a little mug therapy sometimes. Just invite the other's perspective. Good communi- maintaining good communication. Good communication is intentional. Proverbs 15, 23 says, A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good is it? Again, We have to be intentional. Uh, There's a saying, hearing is through the ears, but listening is through the mind. You know, how many times, this is so hard for for us as men sometimes. We can be hearing, but we're not listening. Hearing is through the ears. Listening is through the mind. I mentioned to seek first to understand, then be understood already. We surrender our rights, our expectations diminish. One of the major problems in conflicts is we get our rights violated. 
I had a right for supper to be ready on six o'clock. I've got a right to sit down when I come home from work and put my feet up in the lazy chair and rest a little bit. You know, it doesn't matter what my wife's been doing, but I've got a right. And she asked me to get up and help with the children. Well, my right has been violated. And then I can become irritable. Surrender our rights, expectations diminish. Psalm 62, 5 says, My soul, wait thou only on God, for my expectation is from Him. You need to keep that verse in mind. Beware of selective hearing. That just means when we listen to what we want to hear and disregard the rest. It's kind of like we're sorting out. We've got this sorter going on in our brain. And, and whatever we want to keep and file, we file, and the rest we kind of let it go on through. That's selective hearing. <clears throat> when communication stops, disconnection occurs. This is when our relationships just kind of hit the pause button. It's when there's some sort of a conflict that, that comes up and, and we withdraw. And sometimes we begin to assume the worst in each other. Um, and that kind of entices us into bitterness and resentment. I'll just say that withdrawal and, and, and quietness, you know, when we become quiet and withdraw, husbands or wives, that can be torture to the other person. I've known people, and I trust this isn't any of us, but, but people that have, been, have withdrawn for days and just gone quiet because they're upset. It's a subtle way of anger. I think there's a place for quietness sometimes to sort things through. But we can communicate that. You know, I'm not angry. I just need to think. That's different than just the silent treatment. Again, I got that twice in there, often a result of unmet expectations. It takes somebody, when this happens, when we become, you know, we've, we, somebody's expectations are violated or whatever's happened that there's, a, a break in communication, somebody has to push the reset button, don't they? You know what I mean? You push the reset, and it's kind of like, it gets things going again. Oftentimes, it takes somebody to say, honey, I'm sorry. Just, those are awful, easy words to say, and yet sometimes they're very difficult. Somebody has to be the strong one and push the reset button. And usually it takes a lot of humility to do that. A happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. That's a good quote. Happy marriage is a result of two good forgivers. <clears throat> Key ingredients for communication, keeping that connection, just keeping a positive outlook is imperative. You know, how do you see things? You know, do you see the cup half full or half empty? And I remember I used to be more of a negative person. And one time, Danelle gently nudged me, and she just mentioned that, that something about, why am I so negative? And that just kind of arrested my attention a little bit. And I thought, you know, I don't want to be that way. I didn't realize I was that way. I don't want to be like that. And I think that's helped me change to be a more positive person. 
maintaining that compassionate heart. Uh, there again, overlooking the faults of others. That verse again, above all things, have fervent charity among yourself. Charity will cover the multitude of sins. Having mutual respect. Respect begets respect. You know, when you respect somebody, that automatically lays out the, or paves the way for them to respect you back. That mutual respect. I think Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing by selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. That's respect. Resolving conflict. Conflict isn't all bad, is it? Would you agree? I think we alluded to that maybe earlier. Conflict reveals feelings and needs. I have to share probably a little embarrassing experience. A couple of years ago, Danelle and I was up in Alaska. We had done a little workshop up there. And we just doing a little traveling around and seeing the country. We was enjoying ourselves, having a good time. And all of a sudden was going down the road and, and she said something and, and it just set me off wrong. And I didn't understand what she meant and I was afraid to say anything because I thought, oh, I'd just make this worse, you know, if I try to further open this thing up. And so I'm just, you know, I'm going, my gears are rolling trying to figure it out. And, and we couldn't. And so, yeah, I kind of went the silent treatment sad to say, and, and we didn't get much resolve that afternoon, and next morning woke up, and then I thought, you know, I gotta, I gotta step up to this and resolve it, and so invited conversation again, and we got to talking. I forget what the main issue was, but somehow something that that she said that offended me, and, and I don't even remember what that was, but I, I do remember that what she shared with me just opened my understanding to how she was feeling about something. And, and all I can remember about it is that she mentioned how sometimes I made her feel in our morning devotional time. We had a young girl staying with us, living there at her home, and I would often, really, the young girl, when she would share something, um, oftentimes really affirm her because I kind of thought she needed it. Danelle, I didn't so much. And, and what Danelle said was, I always thought, was, wow, I mean, she has insight. But I wasn't communicating that to her. And so I was kind of making her feel like, you know, just insignificant. And I don't know, that's part of the issue. I mean, there's... Uh, that's what I can remember. But, you know, the point is, is the communication resolve that. And I recognize that, that she needs affirmation. And, uh, you know, like, like the other young lady did. All I'm doing is saying that, that we resolve, when we resolve conflict, we come back closer together. And, the, and otherwise, the problem just continues to go, to, to, uh, to, to move on. So, we don't solve it. Listen first. James says, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Um, Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath. I think we understand all these. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. This is a good proverb. 
Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but he thinks or she thinks about how they're going to answer. The mouth of the wicked just flops out everything they think about. Be quick to acknowledge our faults. Um, confess your first James again. James, I don't when I made this widescreen to fit up here, the words kind of went apart. But anyway, James 5.16, confess your faults one to another, pray for one another that you may be healed. That's a blessing. You know, when we, when we confess each other's faults, it takes humility, doesn't it? You know, to be able to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, that takes humility. But when we do that, God gives us grace. That's the blessing of confessing our faults one to another. Resolve early. Open wounds fester infection. Uh, I, there's a verse, well, I don't, it's here in my notes. I think be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Certainly deal with your anger before nightfall. Um, but as I gave a little illustration for us, you know, just sometimes sleeping on it, sometimes the next day, it just becomes more clear and it's easier to, to discuss and share. Now, let's open our Bibles and read a few verses from Ephesians 5. <clears throat> 25. And I'll have to kind of move through this quickly, but I want us to... Think about some ways us husbands can connect with our wives. So Ephesians 5, 25 through 29. Um, let's see. Lane, would you read that for me, please? Ephesians 5, 25 through 29. Thank you, Lane. There's a story. This man went to uh, his pastor for counsel. He said this. He said, Pastor, I got a problem. And the pastor said, well, what's your problem? He says, I think I love my wife too much. And the pastor said, oh, okay. He said, well, do you love your wife as much as Christ loved the church? He thought a little bit, and he said, no, I don't. He says, you do have a problem. You don't love her enough. And that illustrates what Lane just read, that, that Christ loved the church to the uttermost. This is a quality of love that is beyond our imagination. But Jesus calls us to this kind of love. First of all, let's think about how he loved her. I'll have to kind of move a little quickly through these. He loved her sacrificially. There again, uh, the verse that Lane read, 
Husbands, love your wives in like manner as Christ loved the church and gave himself for, it says, it or her. That's sacrificial love. Um, John, verse John 3.16, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought, and that word ought means we're under obligation. It's not like you should, like, you know, you should do something. It's, it's like you ought to. But this word ought means you're under obligation uh, for us to lay down our lives for each other. So, Christ loved her sacrificially. What about the word sacrifice? What does sacrifice mean to you? What does sacrifice mean? Anybody just tell me what sacrifice means. Just, what's the word mean? Simple definition. Giving up something that you hold dear, that'd be a, certainly a sacrifice. Another, another term for sacrifice means to be inconvenienced. To, to give up something that you hold dear, it means you're inconvenienced. You've got something dear to you that you're giving up. To be inconvenienced, to surrender or experience loss. Are we willing to be inconvenienced for our wife? What about when she's in the fabric shop and she's doing the shopping and we're sitting out in the car and wondering, I wonder how much longer she's going to be in there. And you know, I wanted to go to Cabela's and, and it's just this inconvenience. This, is the means, this means we are to be willing to be inconvenienced. To love unconditionally. Um, how did Christ love the church unconditionally? It means that that while she was yet a sinner, while Jesus loved us unconditionally, while we were yet sinners, she's a sinner like us. We love unconditionally. No conditions attached, no strings attached. We kind of mentioned that earlier. Love without conditions. Here's another one. We are to love her to sanctify her. Now this Verse is one I've stumbled over for, for many years. What does it mean to love our wife to sanctify her? Read those verses again. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. When I just think about this, about washing our wives by the water of the word, I think these verses are calling us to, as Jesus presented the church holy to God and does that, that we are to do the same with our wives. We are to wash them with the water of the word to present her holy to the Lord. We have responsibility for her spiritual welfare and development. This is what I get out of this. Maybe there's other uh, applications also. But to sanctify her, that word sanctify, set apart or make holy our wives. That's a tremendous responsibility for us as husbands. We're to love her as our own bodies. How do we love our own bodies? We clean them. We feed them. We take care of them uh, quite well, really, don't we? He says we're to love our wives in the same manner as we love our own bodies. We're to love to nourish and to cherish. For no man ever yet hateth and 
hateth his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it even as the Lord of the church. You know what cherish means? It means to treat with tenderness. To treat with tenderness and to treat with affection, to give warmth or comfort. That's what it means to cherish. To nourish means to the responsibility to sustain her and to raise to maturity, to, to nourish something. It means it's just to continue it on to maturity. This is a responsibility for us, our, us husbands to raise our wives to maturity. What woman would find it difficult to love and respect a husband who loved her this way? I don't think it'd be hard. It takes sacrifice, doesn't it? What am I willing to sacrifice? Am I willing to sacrifice my time? We talked about, remember, as Christ loved the church, He sacrificed for her. Am I willing to sacrifice time or pride? Ouch, that hurts. My rights, some of the things we talked about, my selfish will, those are things that need to be placed on the altar. Now, for wives... We'll read a little bit uh, about them in Ephesians 5, 22, 23, and 24. Lisa, would you read that for us? Ephesians 5, 22, 23, 24, those three verses. <clears throat> Uh, 5, 22, 24, 23, 24. Um, so what this is saying here is this take verse. Yeah. I, I, uh, 22 is on the slide. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. You got it? Thank you. Sorry about that. Little, I didn't catch that. Submission to headship. I think the word submission is an interesting word. I like to describe submission. If you take the word, let's just break it apart. It's compound words. Sub and mission. And so submission means that, uh, sub means to submerge, right? Submarines, sub, submerge. So submission means that we're under Another's mission. So the wife is sub-mission. She's under her husband's mission. He's the head, as it says here, in the family. So submission. Submission to headship. Submission to authority. Verse 24. As the church is subject or under the power and authority uh, of Christ, so ought the wives to be to their husbands in Everything. Submission to authority. And 1 Peter 3, uh, just a, I guess you get part of a verse there. Um, I'll just read the three verses there. They kind of go together. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Is that submission, being subject 
to their husbands, so, even, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of the wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in which that is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. But let it be the inner beauty of the hidden person. This is amplified of the heart with the imperishable quality of unfading charm and of a gentle and peaceful spirit, one that is calm, self-controlled, not over-anxious, but serene and spiritually mature, which is very precious in the sight of God. Beautiful verse of what it means to be submitted and to be in meekness and quietness. Wives reverence their husband. Verse 33 says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. I know we know all these, but when we think about reverencing, it means to hold to the highest level of respect. Like we might reverence a president. We might reverence someone that, that has a lot of honor. Hold them very high. Respecting his authority and position. Desiring not to offend him. Obeying and praising him. This various ways of holding him high in reverence. Reverence inspires service. And this is really one of the primary points I want to share here. Is that reverence inspires service. And, and when men feel respected, they feel energized. I think that that's true in all of us. Wouldn't you agree? When our wife says, I respect you for, how does that make you feel? Doesn't that, just, there's just a, a level of wow that goes along with that. Just want to encourage you women, your wives, to say that to your husbands. If you see something you respect in him, say, honey, I respect you for, and that's powerful. Men can face extreme difficulties and discouragement if they feel respected by their wives. Let's move on as we're thinking about how we can make that, that uh, commitment stronger, how we can have a uh, fan the flame, perhaps, of intimacy. You know, intimacy just means closeness. It means closeness. It, there's uh, intimacy, sometimes we think of the physical relationship when we speak about that. But it really is, is a closeness. I want to share a few ideas and one of them we've already talked about is that commitment to communicate. I just want to say this, share your heart. If you want intimacy, share your heart. You know, when our wife or our husband is, is they're guessing of what the other one's feeling, it's, it leaves an insecure feeling. It's like, what is he thinking? Or what is she thinking? You can never have intimacy or closeness. If you're guessing about each other, share your hearts. What's going on in there? And sometimes we need to ask the question, you know, did I make you feel unloved or disrespected? Commit to communicate no matter what. Another one is make time to connect. Sharpen the saw. This is a principle that, that I learned a long time ago, and it has really blessed me. 
And there's a story, and you maybe heard it before. It's a story about a woodcutter. He goes out into to the woods to fall trees with his axe. And, you know, he heads out there. He's got a sharp axe that morning, and he's going out and just falling trees as fast as he can. And, and his axe begins to get dull, but he just kind of keeps going. I mean, he can't stop to sharpen. He just keeps going, and, and he gets all done. And he's, at the end of the day, he's just exhausted. Sharpen the saw. Sharpen the axe. What that means is it's, it's just taking the time. If that woodcutter would have sat down and taken his file and sharpened that axe, he would have rested. And he would have also had a sharper axe. He could have cut far more wood that day and been less exhausted if he had taken the time to sharpen the axe. And how do I apply this? The way I apply this is, is taking time for your relationship. Making time for your relationship. This is one of the things that, uh, that has really blessed us over the years is taking time to sharpen the ax or the saw, whatever. I'll give you an example. One of the things we did uh, when we first moved to Ellensburg, the first few years were very hard years. Didn't, we living on borrowed money, barely surviving, I remember the first time we had a vacation. It was like three years maybe into our farming and, and exhausted. We finally got away, went to this little caboose over here and by Mount Rainier. Maybe you've seen them. You could rent a caboose. <laughs> it had a, you know, it was kind of fixed up. It was a little cabin, you know, it was kind of neat, you know, cheap. And that was our first one. And I don't know if we did it every year after that, but it wasn't long. A few years later, we started doing it. After the first of the year, we would get away. And we just have time for each other. We'd have time to plan. We'd have time to pray. We'd take time to, to just um, connect, budget, uh, do some self-examination, think about our family, sharp, think about our vision for where we were going as a family, maybe where we had failed, our challenges in the past. And it has been a huge blessing to us. It doesn't have to be expensive. It could be something just affordable, but it's getting away, you know, for a couple days. And a lot of times I'd even make the arrangements for the, for the children. So she didn't have to worry about that. It was all kind of always, you know, she got to find somebody to keep all these children or whatever. It made it nice for her. I don't think I probably always did that. But take time to connect. You know, connecting was what made your relationship flourish in your courting years. Let's keep that Flame going. Take time. Make it happen. Be transparent, sincere, and open. That kind of goes along with, with communicating. Um, but just that openness and transparency. Again, they're not guessing who we are or what we're thinking. <clears throat> and intimacy is found in humble, unselfish living. You know, this world is tuned to the station of WIFM. What's in it for me? That's really, that's what the world hears. I mean, that's what everybody is geared to. In business and personal life, what's in it for me? But the spirit of the Christian is a little different. It's WIFO. What's in it for others? It's others-focused. And, and that's 
takes humility. You know, one of the, the things that, that kills intimacy faster than anything is pride. Pride is like a bucket of cold water dumped on a relationship. We can't hide it. It's exposed. But humility, what a blessing that is. That's unselfish living. Last of all, pray together. You know, have you ever thought about praying in conflict? You know, sometimes in, in conflict, that's the last thing you want to do is pray. I mean, you know, we've got to figure this out ourselves. But praying in conflict, you know, if, you're in a, in, if you come to an impasse and, you, and you've got conflict, if you can just say, honey, let's just pray about this. You know what prayer does? It opens up the window of the heart. And it lets the other one see inside the heart that you want to resolve this. And it also invites God and His Holy Spirit to come in the middle of your problem. You don't have to solve this yourself. Invite Jesus right in the middle. Prayer opens the window of the heart. Love is the bond of relationships. It's like the glue that holds everything together. I read that. Above all things, put on charity, which is the bond. I think of, I think of, of uh, superglue. Love's the superglue. It's what holds everything together. We need that love. Love still loves when it's not returned. I like to tell the story of my dear Uncle Roy. Uncle Roy married a, a, a girl from the family diner. down. In, he was in, raised in Modesto, California. Just a little bit about the family. His daddy died when he was probably two or three years old. He never had a father. And so he married this little sweetheart girl from uh, the waiter at the waitress. And Aunt Dorothy, I don't know what he saw in her. I, there was nothing to look at, uh, for sure. I mean, she was just pretty homely. <laughs> I don't know what she looked like at 16 or 17, but at least when I, she was 30. And that's, that's, I'm not discrediting her, but it wasn't appearance, what I'm trying to say here. Anyway, but, Uncle, but Aunt Dorothy was so cantankerous and, and difficult. And Uncle Roy was a member of the church. She wasn't. And, uh, but she wanted a television. Of course, the church wouldn't allow the television. And uh, so it come down to the point where it was either uh, the television, you know, or her. And he ended up getting rid of the television. And, or, or he ended up keeping the television, keeping her and leaving the church. And he was out of the church for years. But, but people would come to Uncle Roy, his friends in, in the community would say, why don't you just leave her? You know, she's cantankerous. She's hard to get, around, get along with. She's just... And he'd say, no. He said, I made a promise. I made a vow. I'd love her until death. And he did. And the, the, the nice part about that story is Uncle Roy in his, his early 70s, mid-70s, he did come back to the church. And uh, for the next four or five years. And she had mellowed by then and changed to some degree. But I just think about that's the story of, of love calls us to love even if it's not coming back to us. Even if it's not returned. Well, as I close here, I want to think about what do you see here? You know, you see a forest and that forest looks, looks devastating. It looks pretty barren, dry. What's wrong? 
with the forest. Anybody? What? The trees are dying. Trees are dying. Yeah. Good observation. Why are they dying? That's the next question. Pine bark beetle. Pine bark beetle. Yep. Pine bark beetle has got in there and eating that tree. Well, when I was a little boy there in the mountains, we had a little place there in Sierra Village. And just back behind our property was this tree. And this tree, I don't think I'm exaggerating. I just asked Marshall a couple weeks ago, how big is that tree? Yeah, about that big. It was a huge sugar pine tree. This tree was over 250, 300 years old. And you can see where lightning had hit that tree and, and, and snapped off some of its branches and burnt some of the top. And you could see where fire had scored around the bottom of the tree. And, and how many storms had that tree endured? How many fires had it endured? I don't know. Probably many over its life. But all of a sudden we went back there at one time. We saw that the leaves were turning brown and the tree was dying. And the tree died. What the point here is it wasn't the big things that killed the tree. It was the little things. And this is the point in our marriages. It's the same way that, that stifle marriages and keep marriages from flourishing. It's not the storms that come. We can often endure those. It's the little things. It's the little things. Sometimes it's the, the little disagreements that are never worked through. Maybe it's the We've never really forgiven. It's maybe, maybe it's some things like, like a little lust that we may be struggling with as men, a little bitterness, a little anger, maybe a little distractions, a little independence. Solomon says or that Solomon said that it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. It's the little things that oftentimes can maybe not in the marriage, but keep it from having the intimacy, that closeness that Jesus wants us to have. I want to show you a couple seas. The one on your left there is the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is, is I've never been there, but from the picture and from those who have, would say it's a very beautiful scene. Perhaps some of you have been there. Surrounded with lush wildlife, full of fish, birds, all kinds of things. The sea on the right side there is the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is, as what it says, it's dead. There's no life in it. It's dead. But what's interesting is the, the same water flows into the Dead Sea that flows into the Jordan, that flows into the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan River flows into the Sea of Galilee, carrying life and oxygen and food and nutrients and all that life-giving sustenance right into the Sea of Galilee. And then it leaves the Sea of Galilee and flows about 70 miles, 60 or 70 miles on further downstream is the Dead Sea. But what's the difference? What's the difference? The Sea of Galilee is receiving it's like the giver. It's receiving and it gives. It passes on through. Everything it received, it passes right on through and perhaps more. 
But the Dead Sea is just like the taker. It just receives. All it just receives and receives and receives. It doesn't pass anything on. And a lot of people get married sometimes to fulfill their needs. It's like the taker. It's all about me. It's just trying to fulfill my needs. It's kind of like, as one writer said, it's like you know, two ticks and no dog. It's just feeding on each other. There's no life, no, nothing to sustain life there. So our life, our marriage, is either about serving others or it's about my own needs. You know, this is true in all of life. You know, if you think about our marriages, if we're just receiving the love of God and we're receiving the blessings of God and we're passing it on to our spouse and she's receiving it from God and from us and passing it back to me and passing it on to others. Think of how fulfilling that is, isn't it? Think about us families. As families, we're receiving blessings from God, whether it's financially or spiritually or relationally, we're receiving blessings, but we're not keeping them, we're not hoarding them, we're passing them on to others. Think of how fulfilling that is. Our marriages will represent one or the other. One's the mindset of taking, the other's the mindset of giving. When each partner has in mind that I'm 100% responsible for giving, then that makes us as givers. In closing, marriage is intended to be a taste of heaven on earth. I believe that. We've been blessed with 45 years together. And I'll say that it gets sweeter as the years go by. It's to be the sweetest, richest, most fulfilling relationship here on earth. We found it so, and I trust that you will also. Can we bow our heads and pray before we close? Father, in Jesus' name, we come this morning. We're thankful, Father, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us a way in which we can have fulfilling relationships here on earth. We realize, Lord, that it's all made possible by the cross, by Jesus giving us that example of being the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, giving us an example how we can love each other and forgive each other. And Father, we just pray that you'll bless the marriages that are here today, that are represented here, and that are being the model for their children to see how marriage is lived out and how that can give them flourishing marriages also in the future. Bless each one, Father. We give you all the glory and all the praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.